Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is really a story about family and box office profits and product placement. But it's really a story about family. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton, coming to you from Google. I don't know. No. I'm Dan Acton. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching. We'll cover some real news. We will revisit The Fast and the Furious from 20 years ago in a new vintage review segment. And our main review is F9, Fast and Furious 9. How exciting a new segment. And why, James? Because we've decided we never have conflicts of interest, so we needed to reinvent the show somehow. So here it is. I remember when we were floating around ideas for that section and I came up with the overly complex Hindsight 2020 vintage film review because we're watching things that are 20 years old. Hindsight's 2020, but the year's 2021. It didn't really work, did it? So, yeah. Right, I just want to get something out of the way, James. I've got a a rather lengthy apology. By lengthy, I mean there's a few things I have to apologise. It won't take five minutes. Last week, you talked about a TV series, The Beast Must Die on BritBox. And I informed you that, why are you doing that, James? Why have you signed up to BritBox? It's on Channel 4. Then I asked you about, oh, is this the one with Leslie? And you said, Ash. And I said, yeah, that's the one. You said she's not in it. We were talking about two completely different things. I also said it was a remake of a Scandinavian drama. It's not. I was talking about Before We Die, Not to the Beast Must Die on Channel 4. So if anybody out there thought, what is this idiot talking about? Turns out, I didn't know. What I was talking about. So wrong all round. Apology. I will do better. That's such a serious sounding apology. I will do better. That's that's what we have to say now, isn't it? Just do better. Yeah, do better. But James, what has been going on in your world? Any interesting tales? I've previously mentioned my noisy neighbours who are noisy mainly for arguing and music, which I hated. They've moved out. New people have come in. They're arguing as well. But no music, so it's fine. And I'm wondering, is that flat just cursed? Is it cursed to have blazing rows happen inside it? There could be evil between the walls, which is conjuring style, made these people demonically possessed and therefore... Emmanuel, I don't think demonic possession results in arguing. Well, maybe someone's put an anti-love curse on it. And when you go in there, you, you stop loving each other. Did you not put a hex on this place when you were at your most annoyed? Is it not you? It might have been. It, it, yes, probably. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> They're having sex, though, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about what we've been watching. Daniel, what have you been watching? I only absorbed this last night, so I'd quite welcome your views on it because you probably can go a bit more in-depth on it than me. I'm still taking it in. I watched Physical. Let's get Physical, James, on Apple TV. It's the new TV drama starring Rose Byrne, and it's directed by Craig Gillespie, who frequent listeners may recall. I don't think we mentioned him by name, but he directed Cruella from a few weeks back. There was a lot of visual flair to that film and nice camera work in it, I thought. And this is quite similar, not aesthetically, but in the way that it's shot, it's just really fluid and kinetic. And it's about Rose Byrne, as I said, she's a married mom. She feels unfulfilled in her current life. She's got marriage issues. She's got body confidence problems and we'll let her find out. 
minor spoiler that might grow into a biggie, she's got an eating disorder that's contributing to all that. Opening scene, we see her in this glorious 80s aerobics wear, spandex, I think it's referred to. And she's being ushered on stage. The year is 1986. All these backstage production crew, they're rushing about, getting ready for something. All these dancers appear on stage with her. Rose Byrne is poised. She's about to begin and then cut five years earlier. She's looking in the mirror. She looks downtrodden. What's it all about? Uh, not a lot, really, at this point. One episode in, James can probably give you a bit more information. But I am very much enjoying it. Uh, I think it just goes along very, very nicely. A, a nice pace. A lot of how you get to understand how she's feeling as a character you learn that through this internal monologue, which is basically an ever-present voiceover that's in most of the scenes. And there's a lot of like self-deprecating comments. She's calling herself fat. She says she's a cow. She looks too old. And this is obviously, there's, there's a serious topic at the centre of this. I'm yet to see fully how it progresses, but it doesn't get bogged down in that. I feel like there's some humour here. And it, some of it's, you know, not kind-spirited, what's being said, but... I laughed at bits. I don't know if I was supposed to. And what it strikes me as at this point, one episode in, she's got these inner demons and she's trying to find a purpose and she will find it. And we're going to see what that is. That's what I've seen so far. I liked it. What did you think, James? I liked it. I've watched all three of the episodes and it's only 30 minutes per episode. Have you noticed that Apple is wobbling recently with its content? We started off saying Apple is doing good every time, but recently we've been saying it's okay. It's it's okay. This is also okay. I think if you want to see something less vanilla with more style and a good performance by Roseburn, then this is good. I think you should watch it. I really like the 80s setting and soundtrack. This is what Wonder Woman 1984 could have been if they committed more fully to the 80s. I made it for adults. Yes. Roseburn is talking to herself quite a lot in this, and the reviews have mentioned that she's berating herself frequently, like you say, calling herself a, a cow when she's criticizing other people around her as well, which is borderline overbearing, but I still liked it because that's her character. She's just constantly in her own head. It's not a lazy narration. It's not had good reviews, has it? Because it's a drama comedy without much comedy or drama, but it has drawn me in with its glossiness and Roseburn isn't likable and that becomes more apparent as you go on through the series. She doesn't really like her husband much either, her friend that she invites to her aerobics class. She's making fun of her friend in her own head, so she's not very pleasant. But the main character doesn't always have to be likable in something to be good. Look at Downfall, no. for example. Is that, <laughs> is that the World War II German drama? Yeah, set in a, in a certain bunker in Berlin. Are you saying Hitler's likable? I'm saying he's not likable. <laughs> oh, right, okay. But despite Proceed. that, yeah, despite that, it's still a good film. Oh, yeah, fully get what you mean. Sorry, yeah. I was struggling. So, so Rose Byrne isn't likable either, but it's still fine. I think it does progress quickly enough, so she gets involved with the aerobics class. She becomes an aerobics teacher, so it's, it's moving quite quickly towards that flash forward that you get at the start where she has her own business and she's helping her husband with his political career. So more things do start to happen, and I'm entertained. I, I think from what I've heard, you said it's had quite... Did you say negative reviews? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen it being either one end of the spectrum or the other. Some people have been like, this is amazing, and they're probably... The selected few, yeah, a lot of people are coming down quite hard on it. But I, th I think it's really good. I I'm engaged. I want to see the rest. And what you've said hasn't deterred me, so I think I'll stick it out. What else have you been watching? 
I've not had chance to watch a lot this week, and I'm a bit annoyed because I booked out an hour to at least watch one episode of another show so that I could review it. And I made the mistake of listening to the advice of somebody on a rival podcast whose opinion I know to be absolutely faultless. I like everything that he's ever suggested. Why not take him at his word? If he said something's amazing, I'm going to watch it. This host had been told by his numerous entertainment friends. There's a show in America called The Chris Gethard Show. Do you know who Chris Gethard is? No, I don't. He's an American comedian. I think you'll be familiar with his face if you Google him. Got his own New York-based talk show, which is just like a locally televised thing. And there was a show from 2016 that was labelled One Man's Trash, right? And the guy on the podcast, he said it is the best version of seeing somebody plant a seed of tension and watching an audience just get invested in it. And he said, I can't tell you any more than this, but it's one of the greatest pieces of media he's ever seen and has been told this by numerous other people. It's like a talk show format. Chris Gethard presents it. And on it was Paul Shear and Jason Mansukas. Watch it. And I'm getting 15 minutes in. I thought, this is this is awful. This is quite possibly one of the worst things I've ever seen. Nobody's funny on it. They're all shouting. I don't really know how this is going to end up being one of the best pieces of media ever. The whole premise of this is they brought a trash bin, a big like biffa bin type thing, huge one, a dumpster on stage and people have to guess what's inside the bin, right? This goes on for 45 minutes. And at the end, I'm expecting like the biggest surprise of all time. Like they built it up so much. I thought only God coming out of this bin could now make this worthwhile. Anyway, people are guessing. Some people are like, is it a cardboard cut out of Paul Rudd in Ant-Man? Is it a soiled Spider-Man suit that Paul Giamatti's been wearing? Anyway, it turns out at the end, Paul Giamatti is in the bin, right? Brilliant. And what? And what? I've, I've, you've 45 minutes for something that somebody said was the greatest piece of media ever. It could not have been more of a waste of my time. I was fuming. I've literally had to bring this up on the podcast because I've watched nothing else this week. And I'm annoyed that that is one of the few things that I spent my time with. How can you watch that? Just YouTube it, put Chris Gethard, One Man's Trash, and you'll find it. But I'd certainly encourage you not to even bother. Okay. And, and what ba- what is the basis for their guesses for what is in the bin? Is It, it can be absolutely anything. So it's pure yeah. speculation. They don't put the hands in the bin. They don't smell the bin. There's no hint. No, just complete cold guesses. I suppose it's quite funny that somebody said a Spider-Man suit spoiled, uh, soiled by Paul Giamatti and then he actually ended up being in the bin. Nice little bit of synergy there, accidental as it may be, but wasn't the shock that I was expecting. Shockingly bad. James, what have you watched this week? Physical which I've discussed already, and over on Netflix, Katla, the Icelandic volcano-based drama, which is in the Netflix top 10, which I wasn't expecting. You have to respect the marketing for this. Naked, ash-covered young women. That's all the promotional images for this. Iceland, volcano erupting for a year. It's in a mostly abandoned town, a small town with small town drama. Ash-covered people that are familiar to the town's inhabitants emerge from the glacier. That's all I'll say. And these people force the townsfolk to reevaluate themselves. It's similar to Dark, the German classic also on Netflix. There's a bigger sci-fi folktale mystery going on that brings 
hidden feelings to the surface about people's partners or their children. The ashen landscape of Iceland looks brilliant. You could enjoy it just for that. There's a lot of nice sweeping shots of that. It's entirely humorless. It's quite bleak. It's not action-packed. But what keeps it going is this mystery. Why have these people emerged? Are they clones? Is it the real people? What's happening? It doesn't make any sense. And the different ways that people react to these naked ash people. Do they accept them as a sign from God? Do they reject them completely? It's all very interesting to see that play out. And there's a solid, small-ish cast of actors and they all have a nice arc that they go through. I would recommend it. if I've binged watched the whole thing and it's good and it has a nice ending. Well, not a nice ending. It is dark, but it ends in a satisfactory way. Leaving itself open for a second season or is it nice, self-contained on its own story? My wife... My wife, I'll do it myself then. I thought you would. <laughs> Sorry. She said, oh, well, that leaves it open for series two, the final shot. But I think that it's more of an exclamation point for the end of the story. I don't think it's setting up for series two. You left out some of the premise there. I'm assuming, is it under close wraps for a few episodes that the people returning from the dead? Well, are they returning from the dead or not? It's not clear whether they're returning from the dead or whether there's some sort of time travel thing or whether they're clones. It's not really clear until someone explains it as plainly as possible exactly what is happening in the penultimate episode. In quite a few TV shows in the last five or so years doing that same thing, but I suppose the differentiator here is the volcano exploding and the landscape. I forget what they're called now. There's like three or four shows that all did. Oh, people are coming back to the, from the dead and we don't know why. Fast and Furious but... 9. <laughs> oh, how did I forget? Brilliant. We're jumping ahead. We'll talk first about real news, shall we? It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. What would real news be without the mention of DC or Marvel, James? Non-existent. The Batman. Everyone's looking forward to it, or at least I am. Don't think you are so much. On the fence, really, aren't you? Wait and see, wait and see. Quite a lot of anticipation about this. It's had numerous delays because of COVID and whatnot. All got back on track. Filming finished. It was in post-production. Wait! They're going back to Glasgow for further scenes to be reshot glasgow by the way glasgow for our international listeners so most people we referred to this last week around people just making stories out of nothing this is what this is again it could just mean they forgot to do a few things maybe things don't look as good as they would like and they're just fine-tuning but everyone's saying this spells disaster. It's got trouble written all over it. There's also been mentioned this week with no sources to back it up that Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson are at loggerheads. Robert Pattinson's waiting for director Matt Reeves to apologise. They've had a falling out. They've had a really tumultuous journey on set together. My question to you, James, is does it all spell disaster? Does a trouble production mean a bad film? My understanding is that reshoots or pickups are not unusual. It's completely normal. That's how I understand it. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. And when there are articles about reshoots, it does usually note that. 
So not sure. It's whether it's reshoots on the level of the solo film where they change the director and pretty much redo everything. That's where you know it's bad. But if there's that much coming out about things going wrong, then there's no smoke without a fire. There's no bat signal without a strong source of light. No smoke without fire. Not not true anymore now that we've got vapes. Oh, no, because that's condensed. Never, never mind. It's just... Have you got any <laughs> news? Harrison Ford injured his shoulder filming a fight scene for Indiana Jones. Somebody blow on it, did they? With his brittle bones. <laughs> <laughs> it's cursed. The film is cursed, Harrison. Just leave it. Just leave it. And they're going to reconfigure the film schedule as needed in the coming weeks. And he's having the appropriate course of treatment. He's 78. And you know Christopher Lloyd, who you mentioned last week, and you were surprised that he is even uh, alive. Christopher Lloyd is 52 now, aren't you? Christopher Lloyd is 82. Oh, God, not a lot. Not not a lot of difference. Well, four years difference. There's nothing really between them. Have you seen that the title of the new Transformers film has been revealed? No. Transformers Rise of the Beasts. So is the Beasts, must I, a prequel TV series? (laughs) (laughs) The Beasts will probably be characters from the Beast Wars spin-off. Do you remember Beast Wars? No, I remember Robot Wars. I don't know what Beast Wars is. It was an early CG TV series where the main character was like Optimus Gorilla Man or something. It was their animals that transform into combat robots, not not vehicles. Maximals, the Predacons, Terracons. So we'll have a giant CG gorilla turn into a robot. Don't know why they can't just mash this up with the MonsterVerse, have a Godzilla versus Kong versus Transformers movie. Sounds far better to me. That does sound really good, actually. It's essentially the last Godzilla vs. Kong film, really. But never mind, I'll watch it again. Spoilers, spoilers. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Daniel, it's James, man. I'm just saying, I was talking to the girls, you know, and we, we, we don't put enough emphasis on the ladies sometimes. You know, I was talking to this girl. She was talking about the films or Fast in the Cinema. You know, she got to drink water because she's thirsty. She streamed like 9,200 films back to back with ain't nobody trying to find out what she feeling. Like how she feel. And y- you know what she told me? I check she told, check it out. This is what she said. She said. Oh, 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 oh. She said she wants some Groundhog Day, some Glenn Gary Ross, a little Lolita. We'll definitely set this podcast off right. I'm D, I'm D, I'm D. Let's look with 2020 vision at the 20 year old film, The Fast and the Furious, which was released 20 years ago. You're the last person in the world I expected to show up. Yeah, well, I thought if I got in your good graces, you might let me keep my car. You are my good graces, but you ain't keeping your car. Los Angeles police officer Brian O'Connor must decide where his loyalty really lies when he becomes enamored with the street racing world he has been sent undercover to destroy. Daniel, what did you think of The Fast and the Furious 20 years on? I had a really, really poor perception of this film 20 years ago. 20 years ago, that's made me feel so old. Knowing we were going to revisit this, I had no enthusiasm. What? Soever, because not only do I have no desire to watch this week's main review, Fast 9, 
but I have to relive the trauma of 20 years ago when I watched the original. When we spoke about it last week, I mentioned it was just a film of obnoxious noise, and that's that's what it was to me. Because it was it was one of the worst experiences in my life from a cinema perspective. It was so loud, I had to complain about it and say, can you turn it down, please? They didn't. And bear in mind as well, this is a 16-year-old at the time. It's not me in my 30s going, oh, it's a bit too loud. None of that. It was just deafening, near enough pierced through my eardrums in the two hours that I had to endure it. It didn't help as well that I'm not a car person. It's not me, and it never has been. I don't think me or you would consider ourselves part of the lods, lods, lods crew in high school who cared about souping up the Ford Fiesta to have a muffler on it so it's so loud that you can't hear yourself speak. But forgetting about all that and getting to the film itself, yes, if you're into cars, then I guess it's a bit of a wet dream come true, or it certainly would have been back in 2001. And there's enough jargon in this that if it's your thing, I think, and I don't know this because I don't know what a lot of it meant, you're going to like it. Much like the experience I had a couple of months ago where we revisited Lost in Translation, which I hated and then ended up loving. I watched this and I just thought, who was this person who didn't like this film? It's not that bad. It's all right. What It, it does baffle me that this went on to spawn a franchise of 10 films, but it's got a plot, one that I'd forgotten about. So when you just said in the plot summary then about Paul Walker being this undercover cop, I didn't know that. So I was like, oh, oh yeah, he's undercover. Brilliant. Didn't see that coming. The action's not bad. I actually thought it's aged quite well visually, which surprised me. The dialogue is, as I remembered, quite hammy in places. There's one point where Vin Diesel reveals his backstory about his dad and the music source, and it's just corny as hell. If we're talking about a post-walk world, I'm sure people would have quite a lot to say about the scene in which Vin Diesel wins a race and holds, literally holds Michelle Rodriguez up and says, my trophy. Nobody wears a seatbelt throughout the entire thing. That annoyed me. thought, you're not being very good role models here. That's my old man voice again. But essentially, two hours spending your time with people who I would just consider dickheads on the motorway and think I want nothing to do with you, I half cared about them in the end. Also, final point, Paul Walker, God rest his soul. What a shame. Quite a few prophetic statements in this that made me spine tingle a bit i think i'm probably butchering it but somebody says to him at one point you're heavy on the pedal it's not going to end well for you something like that and i thought well it didn't did it in the end the film taught me a valuable lesson i learned that it's not how you stand by your car it's how you race your car so that was quite important i didn't mind it you (laughs) i'm about on the same level as well i think it opens strong and it finishes strong there's a good introduction to the world there's these characters that are likeable and memorable. I think that's part of why it's so popular. The whole ending action scene where they chase after that truck and then it builds to a drive-by shooting and a chase, all that was good. It was what was in between that just isn't that good. It's not awful. It's just not very inspired. The dialogue and some of the banter specifically is quite bad. You know the bit where Michelle Rodriguez, Letty, she confronts these two women and she says, you better back off or there'll be tread marks on your face. And that's her big threat. And then Dom and Brian are having a back and forth about the cars and Dom says, or maybe it's Brian that says, yeah, well, yeah, well, you're, you're going to blow out your, your fuel pipe. And everyone goes, oh, world star. It's just, it, it's just a bit lame in retrospect. Well, out Miley to me, that scene. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Trying to 
go back and forth with each other, but with like less lyrical genius than Eminem. <laughs> None. No <Yeah>. lyrical genius. <laughs> yeah. Paul Walker. God rest his soul. He is good. He's a good protagonist. I did think his character was a bit useless. He doesn't gather any information or evidence. He just keeps reporting back to his superiors to say, I've got no evidence. Just give me more time. And he keeps being told, it's Toretto. It's Toretto. It's Vin Diesel. And he breaks (laughs) into a garage and gets caught straight away. Just just fails constantly until it's like, right, end of the film. We need to end the film now. And then he realizes, yes, it is Toretto. It is Vin Diesel. Let's end the film now. The romance is the same. The romance is set up early on, but then it just happens. They just go on a date and then cut to where they're waking up together. He's too busy shagging Jordana Brewster to really care about the mission at hand, I think, which a lot of his colleagues say, and I tend to agree, to be quite honest. Speaking of foreboding scenes, the description that Dom gives of his dad dying that you've mentioned, it was eerily similar to what I imagined the Paul Walker crash being like where the car is on fire and you don't know whether he was alive or dead when the car was burning that was actually quite disturbing to watch paul walker listen to that description doesn't he have the most piercing blue eyes though are they contact lenses because i just found myself lost in them yeah which made him perfect for is it called deep blue sea with jessica alba yes perfect yeah perfect for a ocean-based film his his eyes uh, yeah, as I said before, good stunts, actual proper stunts, because you can see it is a stuntman doing the stunts for Paul Walker. And I'd appreciate that. And the drag race where they jump across the train track. 20 years hence, when you have this franchise where it is now, it's not much, but it's it's reasonably exciting. And that whole drama where Paul Walker is looking over this guy is about to die and he doesn't want to give away that he's a police officer but he knows that he can call in immediate support from the emergency services so he gets out the phone and he identifies himself as a police officer over the phone thus revealing to the crew that he's an undercover police officer but he's doing it to save the life of someone on the crew that previously he hasn't got along with Mm. that whole sequence that was actually genuinely good yeah this is officer brian (laughs) o'connor I'm off-duty MAPD. I need a life fight rollout right away. My 20 is a Highway 86, mile marker 147. I got one trauma victim, about 24 years of age, six foot, maybe 200 pounds. He's got real deep lacerations to his right arm with arterial did you notice how overwhelming the music was? The, the soundtrack is constant. There's always a soundtrack going on, just constant. There's cars, music, cars, music, cars, music. Yeah. It was like, because Jar rules in this, isn't it? It's like he was contractually obliged to provide a song for every scene. I don't think they're all him, but yeah, it's a bit, it goes on quite a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. I think it's aged aged well. Aged well. Still an acceptable film and, and enjoyable and all right. I, I'm surprised to find myself agreeing. Did you like it originally, though? Have you changed your opinion or was this what you thought at the time? I'm not sure I even watched it, but I'm fairly certain that if I did, I would have hated it. I would have absolutely hated it. See, I was thinking about this because this is twice now and I can't put Lost in Translation in the same category at all, at all. But I think me and you, not on purpose, but I think we used to be a bit sniffy about these sorts of films. I think we were like, we're more highbrow than that. We're not going to entertain that film. And it's actually, it's just... As we've aged, I think we've been a lot more willing to accept a nice little mindless action film now and again. And that's that's to a degree what this is. So Yeah. 
and I think the UK release date for this was September 13th, 2001, which was three months before The Lord of the Rings came out. So I think 15-year-old me at this time, really, really loving Lord of the Rings, probably forgot that I'd even watched The Fast and the Furious when The Lord of the Rings was like the best film ever that only came out three months later. Yeah, I think in light of that, it's very easy to see why you would forget this. But I quite liked this as an exercise. I think I'm going to enjoy doing this a lot more because that's twice now, two out of two, watched films where I've hated them and had a very different opinion 20 years later. Also, sorry, notable this film for being one of the only films in the franchise to feature stunts that are within the realms of human possibility. Yes, that obey physics and can be performed by humans on a real road by yeah. stunt people. Worthwhile exercise this and let's do it again. Yes. Fast forward 20 years to the next film in the Fast and Furious franchise, Fast 9. What is is it Fast 9? Is it Fast and Furious 9? Is it Fast 9 the Fast Saga? I've no idea. There's too many titles. Well, let's Google it for the purpose of the introduction. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is F9. The world has a way of changing. Too. I know some people, they would die for me. There are moments that separate us. But we always come back together. We heard y'all needed a little love out here. <laughs> y'all ever thought about the wild missions we've been on? We've taken out planes, trains, tanks. I'm not going to even think about the submarines. <laughs> And now we got cars flying in the air. Who is he? Jacob is Dom's brother. Cypher enlists the help of Jacob, who, who, Dom's younger brother, to take revenge on Dom and his team. Daniel, what did you think of F9? Well, I'm glad that I watched the first one because if not, the entire opening scene would have made even less sense to me. So we start off with the death of Vin Diesel's father in a circuit race, as revealed in the very first film, Fast and Furious. The Fast and the Furious. Nice callback to that. As for everything that's unfurled since the first film and how it draws on that here, I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit lost. I watched a summary video of what's happened in all these films, and I'm still lost. There's a lot of F and F law here, and I'm not tied into it. I would go as far to say, whatever my opinion of this film happens to be, don't take it as gospel, because I don't feel like you you can interject here and say, you're wrong, but I don't think me or you can be well equipped to give a fair verdict on the film. We can't attest to the fan service and the payoffs that are probably inherent within because a lot of it's gone straight over our heads. We haven't seen a number of the other films. I think you've watched more than me, haven't you? I have, but yeah, I still think there's some payoffs that would need an attachment to the characters that we don't really have. Ignoring that, I had a preconceived notion of what this film would look like. And if somebody had asked me to like draw it out, one, I wouldn't be able to draw it because I can't draw for shit. But it's exactly what I envisaged. But is that a bad thing? For me, I could take it or leave it. I'm not a big fan of these films. If you are a fan, it's more of the same thing. And I think you'll be entertained because there's no shortage of incomprehensible, ridiculous action scenes. 
And to be fair, for how wildly ridiculous and off the wall they are, they are fun. It's done on a very grand scale. I do think it delivers that in spades. What's quite interesting about watching the first one and watching this now and seeing how far it's come, that's what the franchise now is over the years. It's the reason people keep returning to the cinemas for it, because they like the -the over-the-topness and they enjoy it. So I don't think they've let themselves down there. They've also cleverly... It's not clever, actually, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, but they reference how batshit crazy their adventures have become so that they can just expand on this infinitely for years to come and make it worse and worse and worse or more ridiculous. Because as at one point, Tyrese Gibson says, what are we going to do? Hijack a space shuttle, put rockets on our back? And I thought, don't do this. You, you're going to prevent yourself from doing this in the next film. And then Vin Diesel says, no, that's exactly what we're going to do. And they do. I can't think of different language. It's fucking stupid, isn't it? It's really fucking stupid. (laughs) And and I could sit here and I could tear this film apart in terms of gaping plot holes, continuity errors, weird character motivations. But you know what? For this type of film, I just let it go and I just let the stupidity wash over me. And I thought, that was okay. James, what about you? They're actually not going to expand on it infinitely. They've greenlit four more films in the series. Would you like to know what they're called? All right, yeah. F10, F11, F12, and print screen. Please tell me that's true. No, they're only going to do two more, and that's it. That is it. Oh, is that confirmed? This is not leading into another joke? No, two more. Not inclusive of the Hobbs and Shaw spin-off series. I'm sure that can now be the next 10 films. I think I'm more invested than you, because it's not like I'm a huge, huge fan of the franchise, but I really liked 5, 6, and 7. Eight, I'd forgotten that I'd watched it, so maybe I didn't enjoy it. But my expectations are pretty high for this series. If there's one thing I can say, which is what you've already said, is that it does suit the series. They've got this formula. They know it's ridiculous. They're sticking to it, and I applaud for what they've done to go from the Fast and the Furious 20 years ago to this. It's not really an exercise in amazing storytelling. It's more commercial film development, but fair play to them. It is formulaic, but I felt that even for something like this, the plot is lazy. It's another global threat dumped on them. It's a new villain. Oh, it's his brother. And they're off doing the same stuff that we've already seen in the post-Dwayne Johnson era of the series. But it was too basic, even for the formula. What it lacks is story arcs for the characters. They had the idea last time to turn Dom evil, and that was something. But here, everyone starts and ends in the same place, except John Cena. John Cena is the highlight. He does have an arc, sort of, but it doesn't quite make sense. We'll get into it in spoilers. It's become too repetitive, both within the film and in the wider franchise. There's the comic relief with Tyrese Gibson and Ludacris and Natalie Emmanuel three times. There's three occasions of them just messing about, which was just too much. Vin Diesel talks about family. It's about family. We've seen it before. We know that you're a solid family. In terms of the action, I enjoyed it as well, but the magnet gimmick was overused. Magnets, magnets, magnets. They use powerful magnets. Someone has decided we need something different here. Magnets, use magnets. And that's what every action scene revolves around. And the the big finale is, is just pure magnet action. 
it's competently done though and it all looks good but there's no emotional weight to it now i know what you're thinking there's no emotional weight to any of this it's all stupid but in the other films it's been about betrayal and fighting to clear their names or get enough money in the heist to live peacefully forever or escaping a relentless assassin that's chasing them down here they seem to be in this situation purely by choice they're just hired to do it and they're out of semi-retirement to get into it it's a MacGuffin that will hack everything in the world let's just chase it down okay Vin Diesel I think doesn't work hard enough he doesn't seem that committed to what's going on Dwayne Johnson was giving much more energy to the series than him he will hate you saying that have you heard what he said this week what has he said he's basically claimed credit for the rock's performance you know how they've had this bit of a falling out between the two of them over the yeah. years yeah he said i pushed the rock harder to get that performance out of him that's why he's so good in the film so he will hate you saying that he's not as good as him my word the Rock doesn't need pushing to deliver a performance. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I, I disagree as well for what it's worth, but I'm just saying watch it back. I think he may, he's made himself the heart of this, but if you're going to make yourself the heart of it, at least make your character more interesting and have a bit more energy. All the other characters are going through the motions. Natalie Manuel's hair looks awful. John Cena <laughs> is the best character in it. He has a good presence. He can act, but it feels like he's surrounded by empty space sometimes. Except Charlie's Throne, but she's hardly in it. What's your problem with Natalie Emmanuel's hair? I just, I just don't like it. Like tied back into into plaits like that. Right. It is better free flowing. It's not as bad as Vin Diesel's. Let's be honest. Yeah, as I've said, I became a light fan of this series from number five, which was when Dwayne the Rock Johnson breathed life into it, and I think he does leave a hole behind a Brahma bull sized hole. I think number seven was the peak. That was peak pop culture where they had the meta fourth wall breaking send off of Paul Walker and five and six had Gal Gadot, six had Gina Carano, seven had Ronda Rousey and Jason Statham and Tony Jaa. The Rock was in all of those. Paul Walker was in it. Now it feels like the parts have been stripped back a little bit and they have to resort to bringing Han back from the dead to beef it up a bit, but it doesn't. Sorry. It's in, I'm sure everyone knows that. That's in the trailer. Oh, okay. I'm sure. okay. So I've, I've said there, Gal Gadot, Gina Carano, Ronda Rousey, they were all good additions that gave Michelle Rodriguez someone to beat up. But in this one, there's no female villains for the female heroes to work with. And that's a missing element as well. Yeah. I don't think it's a spoiler to say there is mention of Paul Walker's character in this. And in various different ways. And I, I like that they're honouring him, but it feels forced and a bit like, why are you doing this? Because he, you can't continue to do this every film, making mention to him that he's still alive, but he's off babysitting the kids or whatever it might be. Just have done with it. I'm not being funny. It felt too forced. I agree. I completely agree. We know the situation you're in. So if you didn't mention it at all, it's forgivable. I don't remember what they did it with, with number eight, but in this one, they have to bring back Jordana Brewster because she's also the sibling of John Cena. So that's how they explain her motivation for coming back. But they then also have to say, oh, Brian's taking care of the kids. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, and you might know more so than me on this. So 
if anyone's going to come back, doesn't it make sense to be Brian and not Mia? I know that's logistically and physically impossible, but in terms of the story, if you're going to reference Brian's watching the kids, he brings more to the table than her character, right? I don't know what she contributed in the end, but she was a bit of a background character in the first Fast and Furious because she can't drive. She's not tech savvy. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, the Brian character has the... If you're taking it on experience, you would take on Brian. Will say, though, my word is she aged well, because I used to have a bit of a crush on Jordana Brewster, and she looks no different than a bit of lip filler these days. So good on her. Yeah, and I want to know the conversation that she had with the producers to say, look, I know this is awkward, but I am still here, so can you put me in the next one? (laughs) The very, very end scene, which I don't think is a plot spoiler, they all sit down to have a barbecue and... Again. Yeah, and, and Dom says, there's a seat missing. And then Brian arrives in a car and he pulls up on the drive and then it cuts away. I just felt that was offensive to the memory of Paul Walker. It wasn't a tribute. The tribute was perfect in Fast and Furious 7. This was more of a offensive, forced use of his memory. I concur with that. And I half wanted them to build up to that and everyone go, oh, yeah, oh, that's a nice little nod. And then just an Uber Eats guy get out of the car and just say, here you go. And they'll go, oh, that's what I wanted to happen. But that actually would have shat on his memory more. That would have been Or they could have, they could have had an empty seat in the background that wasn't even referenced. That would have been a tasteful way to do it. Yeah, could have done better. Done better. Do better. Daniel, would you recommend F9, Fast and Furious 9, The Fast Saga? If you're a fan of this series, saga, franchise, whatever you want to call it, I don't think, as I said, you're not, you're not going to be disappointed. You're going to go to the cinema, and if it's your first cinema experience in over a year, I think you get a lot of bang for your buck. There's a lot going on in terms of the action. If you're an impartial person when it comes to Fast and Furious, just give it a miss. You're not going to like this if you didn't like the rest. What about you, James? I'm just going to say no. Oh, okay. Simple no. Bold. I like it. Should we go into spoilers? Yes. Hopefully you can make sense of what happened. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Basically, they're all in retirement. They've got their millions from the previous heists. There is a MacGuffin that can hack everything on Earth instantly if its signal is broadcast from a satellite. So there are two pieces of it and there's a key. So there's three things they have to chase down. And inevitably, the villains get all three of those things, the two pieces of this device and the key, who is a young woman. I miss the key side of things, by the way. What's that? The key to this device is the DNA of that young girl that is introduced with a katana in Tokyo. Yes, I remember basically when I sat in the cinema, some guy um, just repeatedly texting on his phone, messages coming through on loud throughout the whole thing. It was annoying the hell out of me. So I got a bit distracted at points because I was too busy giving him giving him evil glances into the back of his head. Well, that's what, that, that's what happens there. So inevitably, it's a race against time to stop the activation of the device, which our heroes eventually do by flying a car into space, smashing it into a satellite. <laughs> MacGuffin becomes useless. And John Cena, he uses the magnets on his car, I think, to help stop the big unstoppable truck that they're all trying to stop. And then it ends in a way that I think is similar to The Fast and the Furious, because in The Fast and the Furious, 
Paul Walker gives his car to Dom and says, you go off and be free. I'm not going to arrest you or do anything. At the end of F9, Dom says, okay, John Cena, I will give you my car and you can drive away and be safe. So that was that was like poetry. It, it rhymes. Lazy poetry, because when I watch the recap YouTube video for this in preparation, because I'm dedicated, not dedicated enough to watch all nine films, they show the ending of each film. And I think they've done that same thing four times now. The exact same thing where somebody who is meant to track someone down, hold them accountable, basically goes, this was all a bit of a waste of time when it let you off. Here's a car on your merry way, Sonny Jim. Four times, at least. So does The Rock do that to Vin Diesel? Yes, he does. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fair enough then. Well. Become a trope of this franchise, I think. On John Cena being a bad guy, he only turns good because his crew turns on him. So he's fully prepared to activate the device, cause global chaos, but then the bad guys turn on him. So then he decides, oh, okay, I'll stop them. He doesn't actually turn good. If the guys hadn't turned on him, he would still be evil. So that fell flat, even though it was cool when he drove in. They should have played John Cena's entrance music when he appeared <laughs> to uh, help them out. Obviously, a staple of this franchise is the barminess, the bonkersness of all this action. And, you know, we accept that. When we get that first opening action scene and they somehow attach the car to a rope, it swings up a mountainside and then ends up on a cliff, and then another car jumps off a cliff only to be picked up by a plane. How did you, how did you react? Because I thought, what, what has happened here? Well... Well, I think I'd forgotten maybe how mental Fast and Furious 7 got, but I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting it to be quite as... Yeah, I don't know. And it picks up the car using magnets. Magnets! (laughs) I did think this is bonkers, but this is peaking way too soon. Yeah. Because an iconic moment of Fast and Furious 7 is when they drive a car from one skyscraper to another. I loved that. Yeah, and that was pretty late on in the film, but here they're actually opening with the cable swing and the stealth drawn magnet pickup. Yeah, but little did you know, James, it hadn't peaked because Fast and Furious in space. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'd forgotten that that was leaked and then denied. Oh, I didn't realise that. When they mentioned space, that reminded me, oh yeah, they're going to go to space. Are they going to go to space? And then as soon as you get the introduction of that that rocket-powered car, you realise, yeah, they're going to space, they're going to space. But it was, it was half-arsed, I thought, they send the two characters to space to fly into something. That's not that's not the main focus of what's going on. The focus is still the truck chase. Yeah, and I didn't get that right. They fly into this thing and blow it up, but it looks like they blow themselves up in the process, but they didn't. They're fine. I don't think it shows you that they're fine. Oh, no, it does. Somebody in a space station sees them outside the window and says, what are them? Why do they look like minions or something? But it's never really explained. I, I said I wouldn't do this as well because we could be here for the next three hours. But like a car in space, yeah, they use just the same single pane of glass that cars use, right? Surely no other effort needed. The spacesuits got made quick enough, didn't they? Even though that was a, wasn't a requirement when they built that in the first place. How do you steer a car that was built to use the rocket on ground? It works. It's fine. No need to worry about it. Yeah, just... let's, let's use the gas pedal or the accelerator to drive the car in space and pressing the gas that also 
fires the trajectory adjusting thrusters on the side. Like we've got we've got the training for that. We can do that. That was just out absolutely outrageous. I liked when um someone said, I don't need maths. I'll just drive. Now you you do still need maths. It's not that easy, especially after I've watched For All Mankind recently on Apple TV. You basically have to have a calculation for absolutely everything that you're doing in space. Because it's, we're a family at the end of the day, aren't we? So they yeah. do what they want. Got to be honest, I felt I spent a lot of this time witnessing people in places doing things and not knowing why they were there or what they were doing. <laughs> that was me in this film. Especially when Dom went to visit Helen Mirren. And I just thought, why, why, why are you visiting her? It cuts to her for a cameo. He happens to liaise with her at the exact moment that she's doing a diamond heist, it seems. Didn't even realise that. (laughs) And he goes to her as the contact and she goes, oh yeah, there is a crew in Edinburgh. Okay. Yeah, it's quite thinly stitched together, isn't it, this? But that is what I was expecting. But I think I've been a bit harsh in saying all the films are like this. I think there's a bit more substance and thought behind some of the others yeah i think it is very much action scene bit of messing about exposition action scene and then repeats which is what the mission impossible films are in a way it's just a plot that is good enough characters that you like with enough action scenes to keep you going but things like mission impossible and the other fast and furious films just do it a lot a lot better than what this does there's still, as insane as that gets, a believability in some sense to the Mission Impossible films, whereas this is just in a whole different league of its own. Yeah, that's right. So Tom Cruise will survive getting flipped off a motorbike and he will run away, but he will limp a little bit. Whereas here, they survive an exploding satellite. <laughs> <laughs> and have done for years. There is a jo- little jokey bit in this, isn't there, where one of them starts to question whether they're invincible or not. And I did question whether this was the next stage for the series, is that they would realise that they were all actually superheroes. And then the Fast and Furious universe becomes, I don't know, part of the Marvel universe, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, like their exposure to nitrous fuel, whatever it's called. Oh. That, that sort of you know that sort of mutated their dna and given them superpowers or something like that at the end of the day i think they just want to continue this trend of getting more and more extreme as they go along and fair enough if they put a solid plot behind some of it at least in films to come then i'm sure they'll continue to be successful i'm really looking forward to print screen though that's, that's gonna be my favorite i'm sure of it <laughs> yeah shall we shall we drive off into the distance yes James, what's next week? Tomorrow War, starring Chris Pratt on Amazon Prime. An Amazon original? Yes. Ooh, I've not heard of this, but I'm excited. Looking forward to it. James, do you have any road safety tips? Bring your car to a complete stop before jumping out of it. (laughs) Yes, and please do remember, it's not how you stand by a car, it's how you don't race it, because it's dangerous. It's dangerous.